Hi friends, welcome back to the Honor Summit podcast. My name is Julianne Kim and this is the second episode of the second season. I'm gonna jump right into a story. In my mid-20s, I did some solo traveling. In one year, I was in Kauai, which is an island of Hawaii. And I was basically like a strict budget traveler at the time, so I was staying at a hostel. And I got acquainted with a girl from Germany who had been living in the US and was also traveling to Kauai at the time. So she and I spent a couple days together, you know, biking through the coast, sharing meals and only being superficially connected. We were just getting to know each other, but keeping each other company, basically. Usually I kind of prefer to like click with someone or connect with them, but that never happened with her, which is fine, right? And one day a guy from the hostel noticed that we were uh, doing all this stuff together and he asked if he can join us. He was from Santa Barbara. I think either he was from Santa Barbara or he went to UC Santa Barbara. I can't remember which one. Anyway, he comes along and we all go out to get lunch, uh, fun, fun. And then we go to a bar to have some drinks. And the two of them have a much easier time connecting than I ever did with either of them, and especially at the bar. And like, this is getting very obvious while we're sitting over drinks. And actually I started feeling kind of invisible, which is fine too. I kind of figured that would happen. And somehow here at the bar, we get to the topic of race and I didn't bring it up, I promise. The guy from Santa Barbara says he was in a frat during college and um, somehow or other, again, not me, he brings up fraternities that are associated with cultures and races, you know, like African-American or Asian-American interest frats. And then he ends his story by casually saying, so racist. And then my ears perked up. I was like, huh, racist, I see. <laughs> so I said, no, it isn't. Before I could even get to my reasoning, he jumps in and says, yes, yes, it is. How is it not racist to single out one race and exclude white people? And then the girl echoes him and says, yeah, totally racist. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is happening, sure. And I said, how is it racist for people to want to find one another, people who share their culture when the outside world basically mocks them for their culture or discounts them for their culture. And by the way, I didn't even correct his error. White people are not excluded from these frats and these groups. They're called Asian American interest groups, not Asian American only groups, right? And white people aren't excluded, but they themselves generally don't want to join a frat full of yellow and brown and black faces. And turns out it's because white people want to find each other too. And this guy was not having it. And in just like a span of 15 seconds, I see this like super chill beach bro in a straw hat and plaid shirt lose his cool and then calm down again. And I could tell this was the cause of a lot of anger for him. Like there was this deep-seated resentment that I heard in his voice when I challenged him. And this is a resentment based on his perception of the exclusion and discrimination that white people faced, according to him. And I can't remember what he said next. I also can't remember what I said next, but I did stay to finish my drink because it was expensive. And all three of us kind of politely moved on. And for the rest of our time at the bar, I was running through a lot of questions. You know, I grew up in and around Koreatown basically my whole life in the US. Would he think that my town, the place that I grew up, was racist? Most of my friends are Korean too. Would he look at my list of friends and call me a racist? 
I grew up in the pews of Korean immigrant churches. So would he say that my churches excluded white people and therefore, quote, discriminated against them? I teach Asian American studies. So would he think my discipline, my entire vocation was a form of discrimination against white people too? He clearly couldn't see that Asian interest frats and sororities, even Asian towns, churches, and like friendships existed because basically everything else in this country exists for white people. He couldn't see that. And he couldn't see that this was our way of carving out space, space that otherwise would not be there for us. Because sometimes it's the one place we feel human. He gets to feel human everywhere in this country. Mostly everywhere, that's exaggerating. But for a lot of us, we only feel human in these specific places. And I, I really, I, I wondered, I was like, I wonder if he ever felt what I felt then. Sitting at a table with two people, feeling very invisible. I think about this encounter from time to time. And over the years, I've been developing a language and consciousness around race and just around identity in general. And over those years, I've run into a handful of people who I think misunderstand what this is about, what this race and identity thing is about. By far the most common misconception I come across is the one that Beach Bro had, that think talking about race is in itself racist, that singling out one race is racist, acknowledging race, that's what's racist. So all of that is basically misconception number one. And another popular misconception, misconception number two, is that talking about race and gender is a form of self-victimization. And in this episode, I want to talk about this first misconception. So let's go back to it. Let's go back to the story that I opened up with. In that story, we didn't necessarily talk about race, but Beach Bro believed that an Asian American frat was racist because it singled out one race and excluded all the others. So in that logic or by that logic, acknowledging race in and of itself is wrong. Everything just needs to exist race neutral, meaning no explicitly stated race, no catering to one race because catering to one means excluding others by that logic. And in this definition of racism, which is wrong by the way, that's not what racism is, singling out one race, whether it's to criticize them or to celebrate them, that entire spectrum is racist. Simply acknowledging race or making it the basis for anything like a club or a frat is racist. And by Santa Barbara Beach Bros definition, talking about Asian Americans, like having a podcast or an entire organization for Asian American women would be racist and actually sexist because we're quote, singling out one group and excluding the others. Chances are you've probably run into people who use this definition and who operate their encounters out of this definition. To me, this is super problematic in my, well, for one, because it's wrong, but more specifically, it's problematic because if we're not allowed to talk about something, how can we ever fix what's wrong with it? By making the conversation about it taboo, basically we're making it impossible to improve things and move forward. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have a friend and this friend is, you know, great in many ways, but from time to time, actually pretty occasionally, they have a problem of disparaging you. Maybe it's competitive comments like, I don't do that. I don't have that problem or that didn't happen to me. 
Or maybe it's the way that they don't value your time or they'll cancel on you when something better pops up or they get mad at you for doing the same things they do to you. And even though you apologize, they seem to be blind to what they do to you. Now imagine you've had enough and you want to lovingly and constructively confront this friend, right? Like that's your way of caring for yourself while also caring for your friendship and reconciling with your friend and making sure that the two of you can move forward in healthy ways. So imagine you confront this friend, but the moment you bring up a word, a tone of criticism, your friend shuts it down. Your friend leaves no room for conversation, even if it's constructive criticism and other kinds of criticism. They either unravel or shut you out, whatever it is. Basically what's happened here is that they've made the conversation about the problem impossible. So how do you make the right changes and move forward in a friendship when the person you're confronting is unable to have a conversation about the problem? Let me give you another illustration. Say you attend a church and at this church, there's this emphasis on obedience, submission, and compliance. And of course, the Bible supports these things too, to an extent and in contextual ways. So it all sounds good. And maybe the leaders have a way of making these things sound very moral and very holy. I don't know. But let's say this church also has a problem of leaving people in the dust, feeling used, manipulated, disregarded, and unseen. And there's a general neglect for well-being, emotional and moral support. And so there's not really room for your input. And what they desire instead is your obedience, submission, and compliance to their vision. And by bringing it up, by bringing up the problems, by talking about these negative, harmful, hurtful, even dangerous parts of your experience at church is interpreted as disobedience, rebellion, and non-compliance. How then can the members go about bringing change? Can there be change? If any conversation about change is going to be misinterpreted as an attack and comes with a discredit to your character and your faith. What if your genuine complaint is twisted into spiritual failure or into bad and weak faith or into, like I said, rebellion? So that's how this wrong definition of racism can oftentimes work out. So the wrong definition that I'm referring to here is that talking about race and seeing race, acknowledging, singling it out are all bad. And in a situation like that, who wins? If we can't talk about the problem, or if we have to pretend like the problem, like racism, that prejudice, like they don't exist, who ends up winning? It's definitely not the people experiencing the wrongs who feel the need for a change. A situation like this only serves the status quo. It only serves what's already been put in place. Racism is about power and how it is set up in society, putting some people in places of privilege based on their race and others in places of disadvantage also based on their race. And calling out that setup, calling out that system of advantages and disadvantages based on race cannot itself be the form of racism. That's actually anti-racism, right? Acting like this system doesn't exist or isn't set up this way or discouraging people from talking about what the system looks like. That's what's perpetuating a racist system at the least. 
Before I move on, I want to address a question that I've heard from time to time. Why is an organization that specifies Asian Americans or any other uh, group of color not considered racist when anything that specifies white people would be considered racist? Like it's okay that the honor summit says we serve Asian American women and it would not be okay if we were to say we serve white women. Is that a double standard? Is that prejudicial against white people? Why is it okay for people of color to have organizations that name their backgrounds and their racial identities, but not for white people to do the same? So I can see how that's confusing and I've, I can see really how that might seem wrong. And I've come across this question a lot, meaning that a lot of people are wondering the same thing. But here's the problem with that kind of question. It assumes that being white and being a person of color are on even playing fields. It assumes an equality and equity between those two groups. I was at a design museum in Seoul and I saw a collection of award-winning designs around the world that worked specifically with accessibility. And there were a lot of great designs, but there was one in Turkey in particular that just like really left an impression on me. And it was called the sea elevator. And it's a very simple thing. It's like so simple that it makes you think like, oh, I could have designed that. Anyway, so it's a lift, kind of like a ski lift, but instead of going above ground, I guess, this lift goes from the sand into the ocean water. And I stared at the photos and I read the description and I was just thinking about this design and I teared up. I, I love beaches. I'm a California girl. I get at least like six shades darker in the summers. And never once in my life have I wondered about how people in wheelchairs might enjoy the beach. I've never had to think about that. And you know why? It's because our beaches, our parks, our cities, our stores, are basically designed to first accommodate people like me with full physical abilities. In that sense, in, in the sense of physical ability, I'm the norm. And being the norm means having society designed for you, work for you, fit your needs and your design. That's why I've never realized that this thing that I love going to the beach, just jumping in the water, walking across the sand can be so out of reach for others. I'm not equating physical ability with being a person of color. I'm not saying they're the same things. They're not, but they are similar in some ways. They're similar in that there is an assumed norm for both. In our society, the default setup accommodates people who can walk in the same way that it accommodates people who are middle class or people of a certain sexual orientation. In our society, meaning in the US, the default setup accommodates white people. This is because white culture, white history, white values, philosophies have been baked into the founding and the ruling and just the rolling on of this country. Just by the simple fact that the architects of this country were white men of European descent and they wanted to have a white nation. It's in the constitution, it's in the laws, just, just look it up. 
Take, for example, the 1790 Naturalization Act. It said that citizenship in the U.S. was limited to free white men. So yes, this country was designed to be a white country. Anyway, the beaches in Turkey, the restrooms in all the McDonald's around the world, this apartment that I live in, which has no elevators, no ramps, and only stairs, never have to say, hey, we're accessible to people who can walk. Why? Because it's already assumed. It's the default setting. It's the factory setting. They cater to people who are physically able, specifically people who can walk without aid. In that same way, unless we go out of our way, unless we exert extra intentional effort specifically to accommodate non-white people, the factory setting is to uphold whiteness. This is not discrimination to white people any more than making sea elevators is discrimination to able-bodied people. They just accommodate to different needs. And while it is true that white people have needs too, those needs are not necessarily needs based on their race. I hope you found this helpful. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, check out our Instagram and, and drop us a message. The goal here is to have an ongoing conversation where we can all learn and leave with something. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Honor Summit podcast. Join me again next week as I continue talking about the topic of misconceptions around gender, race, and identity.